0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: Ella Waitley is a visual artist uh, and based in Canberra where she's also an academic uh, and is exhibiting at the moment at 45 downstairs an exhibition called The Metaphysics of Space painting a body of light. Ella, welcome to Triple R. Oh,
2: thank you for having me. Great to be on.
1: My very great pleasure. Now, I'm intrigued because one of the things that immediately the the title of the show, metaphysics. Mm. This is a, metaphysics is a branch of philosophy that mm. that deals with abstract concepts mm. around being and existence and uh and I know this also then taps into your own beliefs uh, your spiritual beliefs as well. So Metaphysics can also encapsulate, um, the, I guess the, the question of existence, fundamental principles about the existence of deities and so forth mm. as well. So it's That's a rich right. title for an exhibition.
2: <laughs> it is. It, it is a rich title. That's absolutely right. And you've hit the nail on the head. It's really, I, I use the term metaphysics and do qualify it as well by talking about it in terms of the spiritual. Um, just because it's a much more general term that really, um, so it's about beingness and, and light is really um, uniform in terms of uh, philosophy and religion. It pops up everywhere as being a, a really good way of trying to understand or mediating those big questions
1: about beingness. Yeah. And so if we're talking then about the, me- the metaphysics of space, painting a body of light, that notion of light in, in a Christian concept, mm. for example, is a fundamental principle and it's also a fundamental principle of photography, of painting, of so yep. many of the visual arts.
2: That's absolutely spot on, yeah, absolutely right. And what I've actually been doing, because um, I call myself a person of faith because I'm not really tied to a denomination, though I'm a practicing Christian. Um, So I've actually, you know worshipped or practiced in many di- different denominations w- what i've actually looked at uh, is the western christian tradition of using light and so there the traditions that we're all actually much more familiar with than we realize are um, the medieval tradition which is the uh, the tradition of, tradition of the icon where the materials of light are reflective gold and jewels and then the narrative tradition which is much more about the natural light uh, what i call the narrative or what is called the narrative tradition where the ordinary world is painted illuminated by the sun (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, and I mean, when we talk about that kind of narrative tradition and, mm. and the play of light in an ordinary world, yeah. I immediately think of, I guess, certain painters like Caravaggio, for example. Yeah,
2: absolutely, yes, yes. So, you know, chiaroscuro, that sort of tradition of very, very um, dramatic light and, you know, drawing attention to something with strong highlights and deep, deep, rich darks. And so the work that I've got on show in the big gallery. Um, which is actually drawing on that narrative tradition. I call them uh, slow works and, um, Basically they were born of sitting in the chapel in a in a monastery run by nuns in Kangaroo Valley where I just watched the light and I did a series of paintings um, where I just reduced uh, the tone down so I had very, very light paintings through to very dark paintings and there are also those Caravaggio-esque paintings that go from very dark tone to very light tone as well. Yeah,
1: and so you've taken over two gallery spaces at Forty Five downstairs. <laughs> yes. Now, some people listening may be more aware of Forty Five downstairs as a performance venue, yes. which is the the lowest level, yeah. uh, uh, the Flinders Lane level yes. of the gallery. But then yes. uh, the 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 middle level, so to speak, yeah. uh, is the exhibition yeah. space. So yeah. two quite large spaces there.
2: Yeah, they're they're absolutely fantastic uh, gallery spaces, and I was uh, fortunate enough to have the opportunity to have both of them because the work. One set of work uh, that one that relates to the icons is much more organic and the other work is uh, being lines uh, or linear is uh, less organic looking although it's actually much more organic than, than you'd think um, that's in the big space and so it's a big open warehouse and my work is pretty big so it really really suited uh, suited my work so they're, they're both um, both spaces are in series and so that really long there's long wall spaces really suit suit my work.
1: Now part of the 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 work I know has been generated while you were doing what a phd up yeah. in yep. at anu yeah. in canberra <laughs> that's
2: right yeah how fortunate am i um yeah i um i actually produced this ho- whole body of work um for a practice led research degree so it's actually quite new and australia's right at the forefront of of this new fi- type of research and of course the anu is our our premium uh research university in australia just doing a bit of a a rave there yeah, yeah. <laughs> love the anu um yep and uh, they have a fantastic painting school and actually a fantastic school of art that um, does this uh, amazing uh, form of research, practice-led research. So the painting is the work. So it's a bit hard for academics to grasp that. We support it with written written work, you know, an exegesis, but uh, the actual painting is the work.
1: So. Now, one of the things that intrigues me, certainly about the, the larger work, the more mm-hmm. abstract piece, which is uh, in some ways l- looking at it... Uh, now, I haven't been to the gallery to see it so i've only seen uh reproductions of it online but it reminds me of what happens when you refract light through a prism Mm. you you get that uh the the breaking down of white light Mm -hmm. splitting it up into the colors of the spectrum and that sense of of the spectrum uh is captured in the work but it also it does involve breaking the light and it struck me that we could again find a, a spiritual link to that uh, yeah. in terms of um, the the critique and the breakdown of religion yeah. uh, if you're breaking down uh, something is it still is it still whole or is it yeah. now this fractured broken Ooh, thing
2: that's fantastic i never heard that uh, analysis actually and that's a really good insightful way of thinking about it and um, I think what what I'm actually trying to do through abstraction is exactly that it's actually about how can we come together uh, how can denominations uh, come together. How can different faith bases come together? And light just seems to be this uniform, uh, metaphor that is used both, phil- uh, philosophically, both, uh, you know, in, in, within religions, um, that we, we don't seem to get bogged down, um, with, uh, who's right and who's wrong. Light is just this fantastic mediator. And as you describe that breaking down, I call my work slow work. So although it, it owes a legacy to people like Bridget Riley, um an op, op art um, that's a lot more I, I, for me a lot more aggressive um a lot more sort of uh, dazzling uh, but my work is uh, is quite slow so that the tonal variation is quite slow across the work and so the idea is that although the compositions are a bit ambiguous that you can sit with them and meditate with them so I call them comfortably discomforted work so you can't quite dismiss them but they're not hard to sit with just a little bit like you know Living a normal life, or, or prayer, or something like that, you know.
1: Is it, how challenging is it to work at that sort of scale?
2: Yeah, actually, really challenging. Yeah, so so the the, the horizontal works are, are nearly two and a half meters long, and uh, I have to say, um, producing the the work in, within a year, um, lifting it and turning it, constantly turning it. I, I may have had just the odd bit of a, a tweak in my shoulder, and <laughs> you know, various other bits of my body. So uh, yeah, no, it's, just, it's quite challenging. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, if you've just tuned in, we're speaking with Canberra-based artist and academic uh, Ella Waitley about her exhibition, The Metaphysics of Space, Painting a Body of Light, which is on now until the 30th of July at 45 downstairs. Now, as we've said, you've, this is the outcome of study at ANU, but in a previous life, I believe, were you an art director for Vogue magazine? <laughs> I was,
2: yes. Um, I was actually art director uh, for Vogue Living for about five and a half years in Sydney so uh, yeah that was fantastic. How
1: did you progress from that commercial world through to academia and fine art?
2: Well I actually started to teach design at Massey University um, I had two children and I was living this crazy life where I was trying to be a mother I was uh, teaching design I was doing book jackets and I was also um, trying to do my own work as well and um, I actually moved to Canberra and I uh, thought hang on a minute if I don't if I don't do it now I'm never going to do it so I took a studio in a warehouse freezing cold, boiling hot um, and just started to paint and do all the things that I found um, difficult and uh, luck- I was lucky enough to have a partner who was very supportive and I did that for about four years um, so that's how I made the transition and then I went uh, and got accepted into the ANU and that was a great community of support and uh, yeah thinking bunch of people that uh, were really helpful so that's that was my story of transition
1: I wanted to ask how supportive the, the and how strong and well connected the visual arts community is in Canberra because yeah. it's a relatively small city that is yeah. often left yeah. out of the dialogue yeah. between Sydney and Melbourne's arts worlds for yeah. example I know the theater community up there feels that almost they're in a regional center yes. rather than a capital in some yeah. ways but because it's so small that theatre community for example is very tightly knit yeah. um, is and i've been told that unlike in melbourne where the theatre people keep to themselves and the visual arts people keep to themselves and the writers keep to themselves in canberra because it's small there's so much yeah. more cross-fertilization yeah. as well tell us about yeah, the, the art sector up that's
2: there. absolutely right yeah so uh, so i have to say the emerging arts uh, in in canberra or or the um, the support mechanisms for the emerging artists in canberra uh, are fantastic so there are for speaking as a a visual artist the um the uh there are many galleries and support networks for emerging artists to exhibit there um and i have a great studio uh, in an old uh uh, library that was a primary school that was funded to uh to create spaces for artists and yes there's a quite a lot of cross-pollination between disciplines certainly at the school of art and uh, across faculties and um, those sorts of things so yeah we're very lucky very very lucky so they work hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: The Metaphysics of Space, Painting a Body of Light is Ella Waitley's exhibition on now until the 30th of July at 45 at uh, 45 downstairs located at 45 Flinders Lane in Melbourne. Uh, gallery hours Tuesday to Friday, 11am till 5pm, Saturdays midday till 4pm. Entry is of course free and more information at 45downstairs.com. Ella, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. <laughs>
1: This is a podcast from 3RRR
0: 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: My next guest is somebody who uses her own life and her experiences of working as a woman in theatre uh, and the inbuilt misogyny within culture and society uh, and she explores all of that and places these objects in metatheatrical productions on stage. Her name is Zoe Dawson. She joins us to talk about the third work in a in a semi-unofficial trilogy uh, in which these kind of themes and, are explored metatheatrically. Her latest work is called Conviction. Zoe Dawson, welcome to Triple R. Hello Richard, good morning. So why mine your own life to, oh. to put on stage? Everybody says write about what you know, but <laughs> not everybody does it quite so literally or meta theatrically.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, well, I guess I started writing about my own life. Um, I've been doing it for a while now and I started doing it accidentally or, or, um, Inadvertently, I just sort of sat down to go to have a go at writing. I started as an actor, and then I thought I want to have a go at writing some stuff. And I was shocked to find that the only thing I felt sort of able to write about was was myself. I sat down going, "Okay, I want to write a really big, important, exciting story that everyone will care about," and I felt like I kept coming up against this um, this confidence barrier about telling. About telling these large, epic, universal stories, and I think it's something we see uh, in women's writing a lot that women are often um, relegated to the personal, um, and they don't the t- domestic, the domestic, in yes, commas. the 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 wee two-handers on the smaller stages, while men um, g- generally uh, uh, we, we find authoring the um, the big sweeping uh, univ- the universal story in in quotation marks, and so I started to get interested in that very in that. Issue and so my work has become a lot more um, deliberate since then. And I've, um, and I also uh, I found that writing work about myself really pissed people off. And I found that really exciting and really interesting. I was like, why is everyone so angry that I've written a work about myself? Why, why, why do? Yeah, what. Or something about women taking up a lot of space that made I I felt made people uncomfortable and I found that really interesting. So I kind of kept pushing at that bruise and and seeing where it led.
1: I'm intrigued because uh, that's something that I've been thinking about quite a lot in the last couple of weeks for for stuff going on elsewhere. But Mm. that notion of um, when a man is... Assertive, it's yeah. seen as a good thing, and a woman doing the same thing is bossy and shrill. Yeah. And
0: yeah, absolutely. And and this idea that the personal, writing about the personal and the domestic, it's really—I um, feel like that trivializes uh, a woman's experience. And women are generally raised and uh, to be nurturers and caregivers and emotional labourers. And generally, historically, our place has been. Uh, the personal and the domestic. Uh, I, I don't like this insinuation that that's a bad thing or that's something that isn't important. I think that's really, really dangerous, and yeah, I don't see why we should be policing women's experiences like that.
1: Now, one of the things that intrigues me about Conviction, the, mm. this, as we said, which is kind of the third work in a, in, in a series of works, is that in many ways it, I can see a clear link between uh, the unspoken word is Joe, yeah. uh, an earlier work which I saw at La Mama, um, which kind of really establishes some of those those themes of, of the meta theatrical and the, the personal life explored yeah. on stage, and linking that up with a more recent work of yours, I saw Calamity yeah. Which was, uh, a meta-theatrical exploration of identity in history. Um, and really it seems like Conviction is taking those two elements, the meta-theatrical in history and the meta-theatrical <laughs> personal and fusing them yeah, together. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You're so good at your job,
1: Richard. You've, you've, um, you've articulated that much better than I
0: could. Yeah, I definitely think that, um, Conviction is, is the second work I've made very closely with director and dramaturg Declan Green and it's definitely expanding on, um, on the, the ideas and the, the themes that we touched on in the unspoken word is joe and i think opening it up to a much a much bigger um framework literally bigger in that uh, joe was at teeny tiny la mama that seats 35 people and conviction is in the grand hall of northcote town hall in a gigantic cavernous car park sized space so we've we've literally and i think um, conceptually tried to expand and push those those ideas to make them yeah uh, more broad broader reaching
1: now Declan's involvement intrigues me given that Sisters Grimm a couple of years ago uh, as part of uh, the Neon Festival Mm. of Independent Theatre Mm. made one of the the most caustic and hilariously funny commentaries (laughs) on Australian colonial history that i would seen for quite a while and Conviction is again a work of Australian colonial yeah
0: he's the guy to call
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's very good at it yeah Um, what Talk to us about the collaborative approach between yourself as a writer and him as the director and how one another... Do you, do you infect one another with your ideas?
0: I, I like to think so, yeah. We definitely work in a very conversational uh, way and we've been working on this project together for about almost two years now in conversation. I think we have a very sim- similar sense of humour and we, we find the same things um, funny and a, and... and um, and quite I would say we share a kind of sick sense of humour um, but definitely this works he came on board as a dramaturg director from a very early draft and so the, the work has um, very much been influenced by the, the conversations we've had around the, around the theatrical ideas we're exploring and also the political and social ideas that, that our work and our interests share um, in terms
1: of feminism and queer culture so, if people coming along to conviction are expect are expecting a convict drama,
0: they're definitely going to get it in in a way
1: <laughs> which will then explode or, implode oh, look, I, or... Don't want to, I don't
0: I don't wanna give too much away, but we definitely give it a good go like I think we've really we this this work is um it, it it tries very hard, you know it's a real it's a real try hard I think yeah, you'll definitely get a bit of convicts.
1: don't worry about that it, it intrigues me that. Culture as a whole, and particularly Australian culture, is so obsessed with origin stories, whether it's in superhero movies yeah. or convict dramas. Totally. Why yeah. do you think we keep looking back? Mm. Well,
0: I think it's um, to. I think it can be in, in a way to reinforce these narratives, and in particular, the reason I kind of chose the convict uh, era for this for this play is it's a genre I'm I'm really keen to interrogate and hopefully to discredit this like white this narrative of like the white experience of colonial australia um, we I feel like we keep telling telling ourselves that story to I don't know kind of make us feel better maybe to to, to yeah to create a, to create a, a nice narrative or a or a pleasant fiction around uh, things that have happened in our in our history that are kind of un unimaginable or unforgivable and i think it's i think it's really important to question who is telling those stories
1: and it's also a narrative that inevitably uh, paints women out of the picture totally yeah absolutely uh, i mean if we talk about the settlement of convict australia for example the 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 few references to women will be the arrival of uh kind of uh, a, a so-called drunken orgy at sydney cove when yeah. female convicts were bought ashore yeah exactly um, which yeah. was much more likely probably a gang rape rather yeah. than and and again so it's this notion of it's not just about a white colonial telling of history yeah it's a white male telling of history as yeah, well, which we're trying to unpack and unspool.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of stories about colonial Australia that that feature these sort of strong proto-feminist um, women, but are usually told by men. And so it's that it's the Drovers wife, for yeah, example. exactly. So it's the it, it's that that we're looking at as well the the positioning of these strong female characters in quotation marks um, from a male vantage point and what that what the purpose of that is or Or the danger in that.
1: And also telling that story from your own personal vantage point, which Mm. then becomes a thread that starts to, as it, as that's tugged in, in the script, and kind of the, I don't know, these, the stories that have been built up on stage start to fall apart and your story starts to emerge as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, society really likes strong, independent women to a degree. (laughs) As long as they're positioned in a certain way, we're not comfortable with them going quite too far. So I think we try to go as far as we can.
1: (laughs) There's been a lot of conversation in the Australian theatre sector over Mm. the last decade or so uh, Mm. around uh, the lack of opportunities, the lack of career pathways, the lack Mm. of support for women directors, women playwrights especially. Mm. Um, How much has that conversation actually had an impact, do you think, on the sector? Oh,
0: completely. I mean, that's almost the the theatrical culture I've been raised in. Like, I, I emerged as a as a theater maker to this pressure of like quick we need more women we need more women in our theaters but there's also this sense of the theater actual institutions not being willing to change and wanting women to just fit fit into this this model that exists that's been created for and by straight white men and then it's shocking when and and that's why it was so surprising to me when I was like okay I'll write a play here it is it's about me and and people went oh no that's not what you're supposed to do so there's this um this tension I think around women being invited to the table but maybe we actually need to build a new table. It's like you just have to to fit in and shut up and appreciate what you're being given rather than the institutions themselves being willing to change to accommodate um, new, vers- new
1: voices. We're talking to playwright Zoe Dawson about uh, her work and about the new play that she's written Conviction which is previewing tonight and tomorrow night and opening on Saturday night at Northcote Town Hall and running through until the 6th of August and you can find out more info at www.northcotetownhall.com.au which is also where you can book if you'd like to. The preview tickets are 25 bucks and then once the season starts 35 bucks and 30 concession groups of more 30 bucks as well, so bring your friends. Come and see the show. Now, Mm -hmm. Zoe, one of the things that has been great about your work is that your work has had opportunities to be remounted Mm. uh, a a couple of your plays, and in particular, um, the unspoken word is Joe has had a couple of seasons, um, which is rare for independent theatre to have... a life beyond its its first season
0: yeah absolutely it was a great experience and i really i really worry about the state of arts funding at the moment that those experiences are going to um dry up and that new work isn't going to be able to be seen by um as many audiences uh but yeah that was it that was great we took joe up to brisbane to sydney to to griffin's independent um independent program and it was fantastic and the work really grew and strengthened and it gave uh, and I think that's the reason why Declan and I have collaborated again with with some of the same um, with some of the same artists th- through the through the through the um, getting to see that work grow and develop and really interrogate those ideas over a long amount of time.
1: Why do you think so few independent works get a second season or even main stage works? They they premiere. A, there's a blaze of glory and then I they, know,
0: and it's crazy because nothing costs more money than making new work. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a, if it's just a, uh, if we don't take independent work as as seriously maybe, and maybe it's like I was saying before about the, the scope of that work, like w- w- what it's about and if it's not seen as important. This is something we look at a lot in Conviction, like what is an important story? What do we define culturally as important stories that deserve to be seen by lots of people and taken very seriously? So I don't know if uh, a lot of independent work in Melbourne is too experimental, so is not seen as important enough to, to have that wide reach, but I think it's a real shame because, yeah, there's so much... Mm, I'm just making me sad now. There's so much out there that I want to see again.
1: Uh, well, let's focus on the positive. Yes. You have a brand new play uh, opening in Melbourne. Uh, mm. As I said, previews tonight and Friday mm. night, opening on Saturday night. Uh, and what's next? Have you already starting on the next three or four plays? Do or? You know,
0: I have no idea, and it's really exciting. No, I'm, I'm not really sure what comes next. I'm, I, I don't know what narrative um, is is bigger than this one that I can tackle. But I'm sure that I'm
1: sure we'll think of something. And <laughs> as a final question for you, Zoe. Um, when you were maybe 15, 16 and and perhaps exploring the idea of Mm. theatre, if there was one piece of advice or encouragement that you could have been given then at your start of your journey as an actor and playwright, um, what would you tell yourself back then now?
0: What do I tell myself? Well, I think the thing that's taken me about 15 years to, to work out is to not be afraid to piss people off and... Usually, if you're doing something that's making people uncomfortable, it's probably pretty interesting. so as an as an artist, as a theater maker, I would I, that that is the advice I would give myself fifteen years ago.
1: Cool. Go out and piss more people off.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Zoe dawson, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much, Richard. As I said, conviction on at the Northcote Town Hall, uh previewing tonight and tomorrow night. Uh cheaper tickets to the previews, opening on Saturday night and running through until the sixth of August. Bookings, you can pick up the phone nine four eight one nine five double O or jump online ww.northcoattown hall dot com dot AU. Warning course language, adult themes, simulated violent, not suitable for children. Sounds like my cup of theatre. <laughs> My next guest joins us in the studio to we'll talk about a range of things, including drag. Now, often, uh, if you're thinking of, of drag queens, kind of uh, you're thinking of uh, a man who's taken to the stage. And, but um, we're going to confuse you if that is uh, your stereotype. Uh, Natasha Janelle joins us in the studio now uh, to talk about Auto Bio Queen, based on the true story of Benny Lola. A show coming up at the Butterfly Club. Drag. Hello. <laughs> Dragon lip syncing, is this something yes. that you wanted to do, uh, early in your life?
3: Yeah, so, um, when I started doing performance, I, um, well, actually, before I started doing performance when I was about maybe six, seven, eight, um, I would just be in the basement listening to Tina Turner, listening to Cher, you know, just down there doing my full on, in my head full-on amazing stage shows then my mother would walk in and be like what are you doing get go go outside and play and i'm like what what's wrong with this um but yeah so i remember when i was around the same age i saw rupaul's uh first single i think it was cover girl um and i was just like i don't know who this is but i w- that's that's who i want to be um and i grew up in a my parents are from barbados and i grew up in america um so i grew up in an afro-caribbean household and there isn't really a i didn't have a language for drag i didn't have a language for queer identity i didn't have a language for a lot of things that i was identifying with um yeah but i've just always just been attracted to sequins feathers wigs tiaras high heels lip-syncing um and yeah it's been great
1: Cool. Mm. Now, drag is often seen as, by some in the community, as politically problematic because it can be considered misogynistic. It can be considered, considered, um, a satire of, of women and a, a put down of traditional femininity, mm. uh, through exaggeration and mockery. Others would see it as a homage. Um, what are your thoughts on the politics of drag?
3: Um, well, I, the first time I was invited to do a, a show as a drag queen, as a bio queen, was in uh, last year, we did Yummy with uh, James Wellesby, um, and that was the uh, the first time I had a chance to kind of express my views on the politics around it, um, and kind of formulate them as well. Because I, I feel like you learn as you learn by doing, you develop your ideas by doing things. Um, and my feelings are that pretty much all all gender is performance, and all. Uh, gender expression is political um in one way or another um so working on that show um firstly james Wellsby's created a great space for bio queens and um femme queens and um and also there's a lot of stuff going on within the drag world itself with you know um male cisgendered people um who don't want to Look female, but still do drag and gender performance. Non-binary people who do drag and gender performance. Um, there's a, there's a whole undercurrent of things happening in that, um, arena. And, um, on my side of it, uh, in terms of the politics, it's, it's basically that I, I'm female, but when I was growing up, uh, drag queens seemed to me uh like the kind of females I wanted to be which seems a little bit counterintuitive um so it was like when i was 18 i'd go to drag shows and i'd see the drag queens and be like that's the kind of woman i want to be and i don't really know how to explain that <laughs> um i don't really know how to explain that but it's I don't know. To me, it's it's about reaching past the boundaries of what's considered, quote-unquote, normal for any gender or um, any classification and actually just allowing yourself to be free to express yourself in whatever way is natural for you and whatever way feels comfortable.
1: So having... Explored this, this, uh, these, some of these ideas in Yummy. And I saw a, a later iteration of Yummy earlier this year oh, at, yeah. the, at the Spiegel tent. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kind of great fun. And then you've also gone off to the Adelaide Cabaret Festival mm. with Kane and Smith, who do yes. wonderful stage work. So this is kind of like the next step in that journey. And it, and it's your own show, but you've pulled in a bunch of friends to help you explore some of these ideas and themes and aspects as well.
3: Yeah. Um, because as I was saying, there's a, there's a, there's a huge undercurrent going on in drag and, uh, people playing with gender and performance performance and, um, and in a lot of ways I feel like sometimes just taking that space on the stage is a political act in itself. Um, and yes, so the work that I've done with James Wellsby, the work that I'm doing currently with Finney Cain and Smith um, is just, it's, it's all based on collaboration, uh, which is why when I wanted to make my own show, um, even though it's a story based on my life, my life has been really shaped by collaboration so i feel like it's really important to uh no matter what i'm doing to always have that thread going of connection and community um and the people that i've pulled in to to help me with this show they are friends and also they're amazingly talented people um and the reason i've pulled each of them in is because i i feel something in a connection with them i I see a part of myself reflected in them in in one way or another um and it's it's mind-blowingly amazing um How much can happen when you open yourself up and actually, uh, share your story and allow others to help you
1: tell it? So, who are some of the people that you're working with?
3: Uh, for this show? Yeah. Um, so there is, uh, Frankie Valentine, Zelia Rose, Mojo Juju, Mama Alto, um, Kathleen Gonzalez, uh, Hanny Helsden, um, Ooh, Karen from Finance. Finance. <laughs> yeah. And um and also there's a a a kind of newer performer named Rolly, um, Rolly Lachlan. Um, he joined me on stage uh, for Yummy. So if you saw that you would have you would have seen him have a little solo. He's he's a phenomenal dancer. Um and I, I wanted to, to, to put him in as well because again, there's a part of, part of me that I see reflected in him. Um, and also I feel like as performers, um, I'm not, I'm not in favor of the tall puppy thing. I'm very much in favor of helping everyone and giving everyone a, a platform where possible, where it fits, where it's natural. Um, and I felt like this was a really good, uh, opportunity to, to get him in, involved in a project and, and give him a little bit more space to be a bit more upfront because he's, Amazing. So,
1: <laughs> now talk to us about. You've used the phrase bio queen a mm. couple of times, yeah. Um, as opposed to drag queen. So, yep. what does that mean for you?
3: Um, there's there are technical definitions. Um, I think one that I found on Wikipedia, which is a great resource, uh, very very accurate. <laughs> but um, one that I found was it's just basically uh, bio queen means biological female drag queen. Um, but to me, it means. Uh, in my everyday life it's it's happened to me quite a few times and i i take it as a compliment to my ability to camouflage uh (laughs) um where i'll show people pictures of me or videos of me performing and they go wow that that girl's really amazing And i'm like yeah that's me um so in my everyday life i'm kind of i guess gender neutral um i'm not really going to be in high heels and you know singlet tops and makeup it's not happening i'm sorry um but, but in to, your performance in life. in my performance yeah so to so to me all of those elements of femininity are performance um, that it doesn't come naturally to me to align with a feminine female aesthetic um, yeah
1: yeah it one of the things that in, really intrigues me about your show which is happening at the butterfly club uh from the 26th of July to the 31st of July 8:30 p.m. more info at the B- butterfly club Dot com is this notion of i love the fact that drag has gone from being an underground art form to being it's quite mainstream now it but is, w- yeah. what we see of drag that mainstream peak is really just it's the tip of the iceberg and yep. everything else is still underground mm. and still bubbling away subversively and cleverly under the surface and yes. you're bringing some of that to, to to light on the stage at the butterfly club
3: yes um that's a really good way to put it <laughs> um Yeah, it's, uh, one of the things that I, uh, like about the performance that I get to do, like, like, with groups like Finney Kane and Smith, um, is exploring all of those, those, those different avenues. Um, because there is a part of, (coughs) sorry, there is a part of drag performance and, um, genderqueer performance that is becoming more mainstream
1: thanks to things like RuPaul's Drag Race, um, Mm -hmm. And the mainstreaming of the of, uh, queer identity and que- yes. the queer community as well. Whereas once, kind of drag in a in a gay club in the sixties or seventies mm. would have been seen as quite subversive, is now almost mainstream entertainment. That yeah. you go on a, on your hen's night to a gay club and watch a, someone lip syncing.
3: Yes, um, but then there's still a lot of because uh, I, I have a I have I have multiple identities. You could say so. I'm a, a queer woman, a queer queer woman of color. I'm an immigrant. Uh, Someone living with mental health illness, um, you know, someone who's been through poverty and all those other, I have lots of different identities. Um, so within drag and gender performance, there's also, uh, when you, when you talk about the stuff that's below the surface, so to speak, with the tip of the iceberg, um, there's a lot of things that still, there still needs to be room to explore. Things around disability, trauma, loss, um, and ways that we can heal and reconnect with ourselves and with each other. And, um, uh, going through, doing the work that I do now is, is about using that, the tip of the iceberg, uh, that as an opening point to invite people to engage, uh, with a lot of the, the context that's going on a little bit below the surface, which is extremely important and extremely relevant, um, to society currently. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Autobio based on the true story of Benny Lola, is on at the Butterfly Club from the 26th of July to the 31st of July. We've been talking to the show's creator, uh, Natasha, Natasha Janelle. I'm really intrigued by everything we've talked about. I'm looking forward to coming along and seeing the show. Yeah, so uh, if you'd like more details, uh, Autobio Queen is on at the Butterfly Club, 5 Carson Place in Melbourne. Uh, you can book at thebutterflyclub.com. It's on from the 26th to the 31st of July at 8.30pm and ticket range from uh, $25 to $32. Natasha, thanks heaps for coming in. No worries, thanks for having me.
2: This has been a podcast from 3RRR
0: 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more?
1: Check out our website at rrr.org.au.